If you have a Bible, you can turn to John 12. We'll be back in John 12, looking specifically at verses 47 and 48. John chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. If I add a title to my sermon, I do have, for Sean's sake, it would be those who hear Christ's words but do not believe. You'll see that in the text. This is what Jesus is addressing here. People who heard Christ's words while he was on the earth, and anyone and everyone who hears Christ's words through whatever medium, a preacher reading the Bible, somebody else reading it to you, somebody witnessing and faithfully giving you the word word of God, These people are addressed here, not just the people in the first century, but anyone who hears Jesus' words and does not believe. It's very sobering to think about that. The verses in particular we're going to look at are verses 47 and 48. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Sobering words without even explaining their meaning. There's enough on the surface of the text that should indicate to us that Jesus is addressing first the audience of the first century that heard his words, but second, anyone before the last day that hears his words. And basically what he's saying is, um, don't treat sermons as if they're not vitally important. I'm raining on my own parade. That's one of our contemplations. Our text comes in this wider context where Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to an end. Subsequent to chapter 12, we have 13 uh, through the end of the chapter where Jesus focuses more on his disciples. And then we have his arrest, the trial, the mock trial, his, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. So these are the last words of Jesus written by John that uh, about his public ministry. And in this section, several things are done. One thing that is done here in verses 47 and 48 is our Lord addresses people who hear the words of Christ and do not believe the words of Christ. By the way, not believing the words of Christ equals rejecting him basically calling him a fraud, he's not who he claimed to be, I have no need of him, something like that. So I'm going to be addressing these words in verses 47 and 48. Now I want to make one observation before I do my explanation of the text. Notice the contrast between verses 46 and 47 and 48. Let me read those. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me 
should not abide in darkness. That's encouraging, right? If I believe in him, I'm not going to abide in darkness. If I don't, the assumption is I'm going to stay, remain, abiding in darkness. Whatever that means, it doesn't sound good. It's not. Now, here's the contrast. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. I think it helps with this contrast. Having shown the privilege of those who believe in him, not abiding in darkness anymore. Our Lord now shows the danger and ruin of those who hear his teaching and yet believe not. So hopefully you see that contrast. You want to be one of those persons in verse 46. You don't want to be one of the persons in verses 47 and 48. So let's look at verses 47 and 48. Notice that in verse 47, we have a condition a result and a reason. A condition, a result, and a reason. Here's the condition. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe. This is a conditional statement. If you happen to be somebody who hears the words of Christ and do not believe, this applies to you. If you happen to be somebody who listens to the word of Christ and believes it, this doesn't apply to you. But it used to, and you should be thankful that it no longer applies to you. This condition certainly applies to those who heard our Lord during his earthly ministry. Many heard our Lord while he was ministering on the earth. He was heard by thousands and thousands who did not believe his words. But this condition is being met every time people hear faithful Christian preaching and respond to it by not believing it. I think this will become clearer as I work through the text before us. So that's the condition. What's the result? I do not judge him. If you hear the words of Christ and believe, Jesus doesn't judge you now or yet on the spot. We should be thankful that we weren't judged by God on the spot for not believing. None of us would be here. This must refer to the fact that our Lord does not judge unbelievers, whether in the first century or any century since, immediately or on the spot. These words can be understood this way. Those who hear our Lord's words but do not believe will not be judged yet. Now, not that they won't, will not be judged, but this last day judgment, as we'll learn in verse 48, is yet in the future. So we have a condition, a result, and the reason. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Most of you have been around Christianity long enough that you know of the language of the first advent and the second advent, the first coming and the second coming. This is one of the texts we get this from. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Will there be a time when our Lord comes to this earth for the purpose of judgment 
Yes, that's his second coming. What was the purpose of the first coming? Christ Jesus came into the world to judge sinners or to save sinners? To save sinners. So this refers to his coming in the flesh, his coming to save, his first coming. And our Lord was clear about his first coming. Listen to John 3, not 16, but 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world, first coming, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Now watch this. But he who does not believe is condemned already. He didn't have to come in the flesh in order for people to be under a sentence of condemnation. They were already there because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's very clear his first coming was not for the purpose of judgment and condemnation, but for the purpose of righteousness and forgiveness and salvation. He did something in the flesh that, 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 is, that brings salvation and the forgiveness of sins and righteousness to guilty sinners. I already quoted 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hebrews 9.27.28, we can see this twofold coming, first and second coming. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, second coming, so Christ was offered once, first coming, to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time. Believers eagerly await his second coming apart from sin or not dealing with sin with reference to them, but dealing with the consummation of their salvation. So our Lord's first coming was for the purpose of obtaining salvation for sinners. The purpose of his second coming, however, is quite different. The words of Jesus contained in the Gospels and a few other places in the New Testament were revealed to us in order that we might be saved from our sins, guilt, and pollution. He gave words that lead to life if believed. The fact that many here here, H-E-A-R, yet do not believe and are not immediately judged displays God's mercy. Let's think through that. Is God being merciful to you as an unbelie- if you're an unbeliever here today? Uh, I'll pull a Jim Butler. You're not in hell, you know. He, he would have his hands like this, you know. Some of you don't know who he is. The others are laughing because they know who he is. The patience of God is seeking to lead you to repentance. It's in the book of Romans. God doesn't vindicate his name on your head immediately. That's that's kindness. You don't deserve that. Hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people that have heard the claims of Christ and do not believe, suck in air and blow it out every day, 
eat food, enjoy sunshine, have families, bear children, attend church. And yet they're not you know, struck by a bolt of divine lightning. So this displays the kindness of God, even toward his enemies. The fact that we have unbelievers who have heard. Now, don't sit here saying, well, this displays the fact that God forgets what I hear and believe, or God doesn't know those things. There is another day coming in which all will be remembered and everything unbelievers did will be reckoned with. That's the sober truth of this text and many others. I think it becomes clear when we note, secondly, in verse 48, we have a condition, a twofold statement about rejecting Jesus and not receiving his word, then a result in light of the condition. Let me read the words. We have a condition and a result. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, that's the condition, here's the result, has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Now, you know, we have a statement. The law will consign that person. The law will punish that person. Well, actually, the judge pronounces the verdict on whether or not the person has violated the law or not. The standard is the law. The judge is the one that interprets the law and consigns people that have violated it. The same thing here. Note this condition. He who rejects me and does not receive my words. Do you think rejecting Jesus is one thing, not receiving his words is another thing, or saying the same thing in different words. I think it's more like that. To reject Jesus is not to receive his words. Not to receive his words is to reject Jesus. Listen to Luke ten sixteen. He who hears you, to the disciples, hears me. What does that mean? How, if they're hearing them, how can it be you that they're hearing? Well, maybe the Lord, according to his divine nature, speaks through the proclaimers of his gospel. So that when you hear the words of Christ, you hear from the Christ whose words they are. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. So you got words and rejection are one and the same here. Now watch this. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So we could say this. Those commissioned by Christ to speak on his behalf are instruments of communication through which Christ himself addresses souls. He came and preached peace to those who are far off and those who are near. 
Ephesians 2.17. He is a capital H. The referent before it is Christ himself. Paul claims that after the ascension into heaven and the heavenly coronation and the sitting at the right hand of power, somehow, some way, Christ preached to Ephesians in Asia Minor after he was gone from the earth. The only way he could do that would be according to his divine nature. Whoever then hears faithful Christian preaching is confronted by Christ. This is, by the way, this is really good news for those of us who have believed and potentially disastrous news for unbelievers. Whoever hears faithful Christian preaching is confronted by Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, that's in Ephesians as well. Paul is speaking to Christians, and he's assuming, you've heard from Christ. You have been taught by him. As one of the Puritans said, but pray tell, Christ Jesus during his earthly ministry never went to Ephesus. Yeah, but he had commissioned preachers go there, and the Christ who is in heaven speaks through the messengers. So whoever hears faithful Christian preaching and does not believe it rejects Jesus the only hope of sinners. So that's the condition. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, here's the result, has that which judges him. What is that? The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So our Lord says that the word he has spoken heard in the first century by thousands and heard ever since by millions, I'll say billions, will be the standard of judgment for those who heard but did not believe. Okay, so go to the African jungle where the gospel has never gone. Will they be judged on the words that Jesus spoke that are contained in Holy Scripture? The answer is no. Is there a standard of judgment for people who haven't heard the words that Christ spoke that are contained in the Holy Scriptures? Yes. Just read Romans 1 and 2, and you'll see that people without the law, the written word of God, have the law written on their hearts. They have a standard of judgment based on their constitution or makeup that they violate all the time. But this text is dealing with all of us who have heard and then more focused and yet not believed. Note also the last three words, in the last day. Now, I think quite often our default is to think that only the New Testament uses this language. But latter-day language actually starts with Moses. Moses talks about the latter-day, and since it's not in my notes, I 
I'm not going to tell you where it is because I forgot where it is, but I know it's in the Pentateuch and it's connected to this promise, I think, to Jacob about a son that would, an heir, a king that would come from his line, ultimately referring to Jesus. That's latter days, but this is in the last, not days, but day singular, a day yet in the future where everyone who has heard the words of Christ and not believed will be judged, the standard of judgment being the words that Christ has spoken and they heard and yet did not believe. So they rejected the words, they rejected the speaker. They rejected the Lord's words, they rejected the Lord's person, his identity, and they're going to be judged for that. So this speaks of the future, this in the last day. It speaks of the future from our Lord's vantage point and from ours, because if you haven't figured out yet, the last day hasn't occurred. Anyone who has heard Jesus in person, the people he was addressing, or through any other means, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible preached faithfully, or the faithful testimony of individuals, will find out that what they heard and did not believe can and will be used against them. In the last day. It's a sobering thought indeed. If you're sitting here going, why are you making me squirm? I came to your church. I'm going to eat your food. I'm going to hang with your people. Um, I want you to be saved. I don't want you to reject him. I don't want you to reject his words. I don't want you to remain abiding in darkness. I don't want you to land in that last day unclothed, without Christ, without God, without hope. So, that's my exposition, contemplation. I have three, I believe. Um, and my sec- uh, one, first one is this. Think upon the hearing of faithful sermons. In light of our text, think upon the hearing of faithful sermons, sermons that are faithful to the intent of God's word. Remember Luke 10, 16. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. These are sobering words. Reject the messengers of Christ as faithful witnesses of Christ, and you reject Christ himself. Sit week after week, month after month, year after year, hearing the Christian message, and yet you're unbelieving, you're rejecting Christ himself. Not just the preacher, not just the church members, but the Lord himself. Sobering words. Hearing sermons and rejecting the truth in those sermons is not healthy for the soul. In the last day, they're going to... Let me just read J.C. Ryle. You'll see why I quote him. 
J.C. Ryle says, there will be a resurrection of all faithful sermons at the last day. He said that based on this text. Why? Because on the last day, there will be people who heard faithful sermons and who rejected the words of Christ and the person of Christ, and that will be the litmus, the standard of their judgment. Um, Ryle goes, great is the responsibility of preachers, but then he goes, their words are always doing good or adding to the condemnation of the lost. They are a savor of life to some and of death to others. That's the words of Paul. And then he says, great is the responsibility of hearers. The preacher has a great responsibility to accurately reflect the divine intent of the words contained in Scripture. But hearers have a great responsibility. Here's Ryle again. They may ridicule and despise sermons. Have you ever rolled your eyes during a sermon because the preacher said something? I've seen people do that. If you do it and I see you, I'm going to call you up. No, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That's between you and God. You know, you can ridicule the preacher. You can roll your eyes. I've seen it done. I think the first time I saw it done is when uh, the pastor that, was the pastor of the church where my wife and I met. He was doing a wedding, and he was going through gender-based role distinctions in Ephesians 5, and he got to, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, and there was mockery. There was, I heard it. It was loud. Not real loud, but it was not good. That sermon, if that person or those persons don't repent and believe, is going to come back at the resurrection to haunt them. Great is the responsibility of hearers. They may ridicule and despise sermons, but they will find to their cost at last that they must give account of all they hear. The very sermons they now despise may be witnesses against them to their eternal ruin. Unquote. That's J.C. Ryle. This is like a bad news sermon so far, isn't it? It's like, this is heavy, but it's in the text. Got to deal with it. And then secondly, I want you to think about, think upon the contrast between our Lord's first and second comings. Let's think through this. I did not come to judge the world in my first coming, but to save the world. The word that I have spoken will judge him who rejects me and my words, will judge him in the last day. So we have a coming to save the world and then implicitly a coming for judgment, right? This is already in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5 is very clear about a last day, coming, resurrection, and judgment day. Our Lord's first coming came about for the salvation of sinners. His coming on the last day will be way different for those who heard his words and did not believe. Listen to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10. It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. There it is again. Where do you think Paul got that from? To be glorified in his saints. Well, that's way different than executing vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. This is the other side. This is the contrast uh, at the second coming between how the Lord Jesus deals with unbelievers and how the Lord Jesus deals with believers. To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So here we have the first coming and the second coming contrasted. And then we have at the second coming a contrast uh, with reference to the relation of Christ to unbelievers and believers. For the unbelievers, it'll be a day of terror, especially for those who heard the words of Christ and rejected them. For believers, what did Paul say? To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. There will be this uh, perfected admiration of soul for our Lord at his second coming by all those who have believed his words. Do you think there will be admiration by those who have rejected him and his words? Where is that they would wish that the rocks would fall upon them? There's a hymn. We're not going to sing it because it's so terrifying, but I'll read it. Day of judgment, day of wonders. Hark the trumpet's awful sound, louder than a thousand thunders, shakes the vast creation round. How the summons will the sinner's heart confound. We're thinking upon the contrast between our Lord's first and second comings and the contrast between him in relation to unbelievers and believers at that last day. See the judge our nature wearing, clothed in majesty divine. You who long for his appearing, then shall say, this God is mine. Gracious Savior, own me in that day as thine. You hear the contrast here again? Will, how the summons will the sinner's heart confound. Gracious Savior, own me in that day as thine. Third line says, at his call, the dead awaken. Rise to life from earth and sea. All the power of nature shaken by his looks, prepare to flee, careless sinner. What will then become of thee? 
The more you know your Bible, the more you can hear it in those very words. But to those who have confessed, loved, and served the Lord below, he will say, come near, ye blessed. See the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. Finally, some good news in that hymn. Sobering reality of a judgment coming for some it's going to be, they're going to be admiring the judge. They're going to be worshiping the judge. And others will wish they had never come into existence. But listen, you're here. You're listening to my words. I've given the words of life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Most of you, as far as I know, hopefully all of you are true believers. I don't know. The Lord knows his own. We shouldn't, I don't want anybody, especially members of our church and any other believers that might be here, going away with a sad face because you, you were in verse 46. You, you no longer abide in darkness, but you used to be in verses 47 and 48. And because you used to be there, somehow you got out of those verses and jumped up a verse. How did that happen? Uh, what were the words of Paul in Philippians? The Lord came and got me, whatever, that, whatever his word was. The hound of heaven came. The, the Son of God came to save sinners. He seeks and he finds lost sinners and he cleans them up. How does he do that? Well, he speaks to them through commissioned messengers. And you hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice in the preaching. Guilty sinner, come. Have your sins forgiven. Rejoice in the salvation procured for you. Well, may the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. These are sobering words here in John 12, but necessary. Some of us were shaken to the core by words just like this, maybe even these words, when we're lost, when we're hopeless and helpless, when we're without God and Christ and forgiveness, living in this world, breathing your air, eating your food, uh, being sustained by your uh, providence, and yet, ungrateful, unforgiven, guilty, vile sinners we were. Such were most of us. But by your doing, we are in Christ Jesus. May it be your doing to cause unbelievers, by hearing the words of this sermons, sermon this morning, to be in Christ Jesus, to know him as their righteousness, as their justification, as the only way of forgiveness, as the fountain of mercy, as the one who washes sinners, who cleanses them from all their unrighteousness, who clothes them with his own righteousness, 
so that there, there is therefore now no condemnation for them. Burn your word into our hearts, we pray, and help us to sing appropriately in response to it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.